I'm Devin Leonardi, and you're listening to the DBA Podcast. Today, we're doing business as Anna Eskimani, state representative for Florida's 47th district, winner of an extensive list of awards, and champion for public education. And today, we're going to be talking about managing expectations, rising above negative influence, and achieving the American dream. Here with state representative of the 47th district, if I'm not mistaken, Got it. Uh, winner of an extensive list of awards, <laughs> champion of public education and healthcare and Planned Parenthood and a whole lot of different things. We are so, so happy to have Anna Eskimali in the space talking about doing business and doing business as you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. I'm excited to be here. No, we're really excited to have you. So one of the things that, that we always do in this is we're always trying to pull those little tidbits of information. Uh, you found some great success. Obviously, it's tangible <laughs> in a very strange way. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, and so we're always trying to impart those upon our listeners so that they can become a little bit more successful in their own lives. Totally. So uh, one of the things that I definitely want to talk with you about is your path right? How you got to where you are. Uh, I'm one of those people. I do a little bit of research before we do these things. <laughs> uh, so obviously I know that you're, you know, the, the daughter of immigrants. I am, uh, yeah. How do you, <laughs> how do you go from, you know, being, you know, a first generation American citizen to becoming a, you know, state representative? <laughs> I mean, it's, I think my story is so similar to, Americans across the country. Like my family had no money growing up. We went to public schools, K through 12. I have a twin sister and an older brother. Um, I actually shared a room with my twin sister for 13 years. Oh, wow, we had I'm a sorry. small house. <laughs> Luckily we're close, but there were moments where we needed the space. But I always tell her that we're womb to tomb. So <laughs> she nice. hates it when I say that. But, but yeah, we're we're a very close-knit family. And um, you know, it was really hard because we were always different, you know, mm -hmm. compared to classmates. I don't think there was really any other Iranian Americans in my elementary school or middle school. I always, we always stood out a little bit, especially after 9-11, like a yeah. lot of just racist comments and whatnot that we had to navigate as children. Um, and then in my life too, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and she passed away when I was a kid. So what I, I, I think for me, a lot of my experiences and a lot of my, my drive comes from experiencing struggle and not wanting others to go through what I did. Yeah. And so that can take shape in so many different um, directions, you know, can, and in my case, standing up for the little guy, I think has been just an, an, an instinctive behavior for me. And Iranian Americans, Iranians in general, like our culture is one of, of, um, both gratitude, but also it's very giving. Like mm. we just, we just, we get with that expectation. You can't walk into an Iranian home without being offered food like multiple yeah, times. I'm Italian. Yeah. Okay. Same thing. <laughs> same thing. And so you like, and like you have to eat something and it's just, it's very much the giving culture of yeah, like, absolutely. and, and so my, my, my parents, so they had so little always did that. Like my mom would make wedding dresses for all of her friends who got married. Wow. Yeah. Like she would just make it of the goodness of her heart and use whatever skill or craft she she had to share it with with the world would not with and never expected anything in return mm -hmm. 
And if you give with that expectation, you build relationships that are very long lasting relationships that when you least expect it will be there for you. And I think that's been a part of a part of of my life is that when I made the decision to run for office as a first time candidate, the folks that turned up were just people from you know, the, from years ago. Yeah, right. I mean, it was wild. Like yeah. folks that had, I didn't even know they followed politics and they were right. my first donors. They were right. my first supporters and folks who lived in the district that knew me from when I worked at Planned Parenthood or knew me as a UCF student were the first ones to request yard signs. You just kind of, I think relationships are such an important part um, to everything you do. And some of the most special moments on on the campaign trail have been meeting folks who knew my mom and tell me stories about her that I never knew. And again, it kind of speaks again to those relationships. Like my mom had relationships that people still remember her by. And when they see the name Eskamani, they're like, oh, you must be Nasreen's daughter. I knew Nasreen. I worked with her at Kmart or at McDonald's or wherever it was. And so I think relationships have been a key part to to, to my life and my ability to do this work every day. It's is, is maintaining those relationships and expanding more, really having an open tent and welcoming every person into your circle. Yeah, so your, your experience as, you know, first generation and, and all of that and coming here, I guess, well, being born here, obviously, uh, and kind of watching your parents kind of yeah. go through this. I know your dad kind of has an interesting story. He does, yeah. yeah. So tell, tell me a little bit about that <laughs> and what it was kind of like to watch him, you know, start. Right. And Basically, then yeah. good in education and then do something awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my dad is really an unsung hero in my life. It's funny. I, I've always since I was a little girl, you know, I, I saw my mom as as like the matriarch and saw her as someone that I aspire to be. But I, when she passed away, and I learned more about my dad's history and how my dad supported my mom in so, so many different ways. Also helped me realize um, just how much how much of a hero he really is. Like he, he is such a giving person. He came to this country with nothing, um, couch surfed basically his first years, um, ended up going to UCF in graduating 1994 while working as a waiter at the airport and raising three kids with my mom. And he ended up um, graduating with electrical engineering and working at the Space Coast. Um, and while he did that on the weekdays, he worked at Walt Disney World as a customer service representative on the weekends because our family was struggling to make ends meet. Yeah. My dad eventually had to end that job when my mom got more sick so he could spend more time with her. But, um, you know, he really did start from nothing and, you know, became um, – um, a, a really strong member of, of of his team and continues to be an engineer today. He now works in Japan, actually, works abroad. Really? Yeah, so he, he's been all over the world with his job. Um, and, you know, it's funny. I think for so many immigrants, it's a lot of it's about security. Like, they just, they want a, a, um, a good place to work with a steady income, which is what my dad's always wanted for yeah, us. Comfortability. But, right, exactly. But it's so funny too because he told me, my sister and I, that we need to study physics, chemistry, and uh, biology. Those were our only three options. And when I told him I was I was going to study political science and women's studies, he was <laughs> a little apprehensive. But but as long as I had a job, he was okay with it. But but it's it's such an immigrant story too of of you know your parents have a vision for you and it's really much grounded on just they want you to be secure and the yeah. idea is that if you follow the hard sciences like finding a job will be easier um but you know we've been really fortunate to 
um, follow our passions and that's led us in the right direction. Wow. Yeah. I can imagine that your father is immensely proud of where you are now. <laughs> uh, what a crazy path. Not only, so you've been a huge proponent of public education. I have about seven educators in my family. Wow. Yeah, that's so, so cool. Yeah. My mother, my father, my aunt, <laughs> my uncle. Oh uh, my God. That's yeah. amazing. In Florida or uh, where? Actually in Montana. Montana. Yeah. So I'm originally from Montana. Hey, there's some big uh, elections in Montana right now. There's a couple right going now. on right yeah. now, right? That's uh, incredible. So it's kind of cool. Uh, but, you know, I your educational background is really interesting to me. Have you always had this just like drive for knowledge? Because <laughs> you have, you know, two bachelor's degrees. And, I'm a nerd. Like, yeah. And, I'm and a, a couple nerd. master's degrees and working on your PhD. <laughs> so is that like just part of who you are? Yeah, totally. I mean, <laughs> candidly, my parents um, really scared me from getting bees. I yeah. mean, it, I don't know. I know. <laughs> right, right. I mean, so many parents, it's just like if I came home with a bee, I, I felt like I just like disappointed them. Um, I remember my first A minus in college was my senior fall semester. And I and it, it was actually was a really important reality check for me, too, of like, it's OK not to get like perfect grades, you know, but I didn't learn that lesson until I was a senior. <laughs> You're in college. <laughs> but um, but yes, I've always been thirsty for knowledge. And I think it's really, you know, there's, there's two parts of this for me. One is that as a young woman of color, I've always felt that that you almost having these additional academic experiences helps with credibility. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, I, I walk into a space and I mean, there are some moments where people, you know, I walk into the Capitol building right. and the security asks for my ID because they see me using the member door and they're like, excuse me, miss, like, why are you here? And I'm like, I'm a member, you know, but it's still like that, not under, not, not accepting a norm that, a young person, a young woman, a woman of color would be a lawmaker. Right. And so I've always kind of um, held this understanding that, you know, one way to challenge that is to build your credibility and academics is a way to build the credibility. So if I am not, if I'm talking to someone, at least, you know, if they know I have uh, two master's degrees and maybe they'll take what I say more seriously than yeah. if I didn't. And that's a sad reality. And yeah. I hope it's changing. But that's always been one reason why I pursue knowledge is, is th it's the reality that, that women of color and women in general have to work a lot harder to be taken seriously, and that's one avenue to do it. Um, but the other hand is something that um, I find I find higher education to be really inspirational and, and a safe place to express wonder. Yeah. And in so many environments, especially in the private sector, like expressing wonder can face limitations, and whether it's because you are – you, you you face financial walls that prohibit you from really thinking big or um you, you don't have the 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 knowledge base to wonder so you maybe you're have a bounded rationality it could even be corporate structure corporate structure absolutely if it's very top down versus horizontal there's like so many reasons why you might face these walls and in academic spaces like you you are you are pushed to wonder and and that and that's always been something that I've cr I crave and and it's okay to ask questions in academic space when you're a lawmaker you got to know the answers to everything yeah. and I get questions oh my gosh even just today you know I've gotten questions about unemployment about evictions about criminal justice about uh, land development and preservation like you literally have to know almost everything. Yeah. And and in academic space, you learn the critical skills to learn as much as you can about diverse topics, but you also are given opportunity to ask questions yourself. Yeah. So I've always loved that. And this is going to sound really corny, but when you pursue a degree, there's also a finish line. 
And, you know, in the private sector, in your in your day-to-day life, there's never really a finish line. You know, every day is restart. So I've always loved the idea of in, in, in three years, you will be <laughs> complete. Be yeah. <laughs> like I just, there's something about that that, that just keeps me going. And then my PhD program in particular um, has been, oof. It's been a it's been a long time going. I mean, I started in 2016, so oh, wow. four years in. I just passed my qualifying exams last December, and I really should be almost finished right now, but the pandemic just like yeah. threw me off course, threw on, threw on the brakes <laughs> completely. Yeah. So after my after this election, I hope to um, kind of like tap back into my advisors and kind of get back on track because it's this pandemic has been a challenge for all of us, yeah. and I basically just put academics on pause as I've responded to things like unemployment and housing and, you know, everything else in between. Yeah. You kind of have to manage your own expectations of yourself to a certain degree. I mean, to me, that seems like an astronomical amount to manage in and of yourself. It's another tidbit, right? Is giving yourself grace. Yeah. Like, and I don't think we do that enough. Mm -hmm. You know, we are, well, many times we're empathetic towards others, but not ourselves. And so I've just tried to give myself grace. My calendar is my best friend. So I literally have in my calendar a reminder for post-election. I'm like, all right, follow up with academics. And I, you know, just kind of put those, any of those to-dos that are not like urgent right now this second, I have as a reminder. So I will return to it as soon as I get there. Yeah, no, I think giving your grace, self grace is massively important. Managing your expectations. Now I think you know what comes next. <laughs> You've got hundreds of thousands of people in your district who all want a voice. They right. all want to be they deserve heard. A voice. How do you manage their expectations? Is that like <laughs> the most impossible thing in the world or what? Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's a great question. It's a really great question. And you know, this district was drawn to be a swing seat. So mm-hmm. this district is diverse. We've we've changed a lot. We're, we lean a little bit more Democrat these days, and we're still home to tens of thousands of no party affiliation folks, tens of thousands of Republicans, um, also folks who are either immigrants or face a, a felony, so they haven't had their rights restored yet. And we have folks under the age of 18. So, I mean, like, it's it's such an incredibly diverse district. Um, and I think, you know, the, the managing expectations is an interesting question. You know, part of it, I think, is educating folks on the on the process so they know timing and 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 the opportunity so for example you know today i got an email about uh, from one of our um uh former felons Mm. he is uh um, an incredible leader in our community he participates in prison education um programs he has a a son who's in second grade right now so he was emailing me about different criminal legal issues that he's facing and you know one of my points to him was you know this these are all really great questions legislation wise session doesn't start till March 2021 so let's let's plan for March you know and just kind of letting folks know here's the process here's what we can do and can't do and also if our office can't help you we'll connect you to an office that can and you know I got another email about unemployment and stimulus issues and so unemployment issues I can I can handle that stimulus issues are federal so just right. providing folks with the which is the the mechanisms of government and then not leaving them hanging is really right. important. It's like yeah. we're never going to just say, contact this person. We try really hard to empower you to know where to go next. And if we can make that connection for you, we will. And, and, and as a result of our proactive efforts to educate our community on these basic government principles and where to go for different issues, we're seeing our volunteers become advocates themselves. Yeah. So it kind of creates this culture of, 
of 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 support within within the community as a whole where we model the information we model the behavior and then it's shared by others and that that, that makes a big difference yeah. um because you're not you're not alone then in, right. in carrying carrying this load um but and, but what i will say too is that we're very open and honest about our policy positions and we're also we're also willing to evolve on on the most complex subjects. Sure. There are some basic principles that we're never going to change on. I mean, especially when it comes to equity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's 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 pretty black and white. Yeah. <laughs> but but other issues, you know, when it comes to, uh, for example, we have had, we have folks that are really frustrated by speeding on our lakes, yeah. and and that's a combination of local law and local ordinances and state law. So we're going to be with all the stakeholders and figure out like what is the solution to that. So you got to take every problem case by case, sure. but lead with your values. And you know our values include equity. They include intersectionality. Um, we are we are transparent. Uh, we're accessible. And I think when you maintain those basic values, every person appreciates that. Yeah. And even if we completely disagree on something, the fact that you know where I stand and that if you text me, I'll respond back to you, you know, keeping those lines of communication open builds trust. And and even if folks hate your policies, they, they're not going to hate you as a person. And oh my goodness, in politics, that is so refreshing, you yeah, know, because things are so polarizing these days that the ability to say, I, you know, I don't agree with you on that. But, you know, can we still go get a cup of coffee? You know what I mean? Like being able to maintain that I think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you do a very, very good job of bridging that gap. And I don't know if it's just who you are as a person, you know, (laughs) and what you represent as a whole, you know, this whole path, this whole thing that people can see. But the educational aspect exudes Thank you. your being and that's that's just something that I've observed as someone who's in your constituency <laughs> who knows you know kind of what you stand for and what you do and you got my vote for that reason Aww, uh, thank it's you. something that it's I'm really very sweet. passionate about you can ask Earl Blumenauer how it went one time when I got kicked out of a town hall <laughs> in Oregon oh my god I love it I love uh, it but you know I think it's one of those things like you you do you exude this this natural sense of comfortability and understanding uh, that kind of comes with that. How, <laughs> this is always something, so in 2018, you you went up against this Republican right. candidate. Right, Dr. Reeves the Six. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he was <laughs> Who, kinda, like, still hates me. He was kind of like, nasty, right? It, oh, yeah, he's, didn't... <laughs> he's still very mean. Yeah. I don't know, I'm like, come on, can if we just I move on? If I remember correctly, there were 20-plus pieces of direct mail that went out, Correct. and they were, like, directly just, like, hounding you. Correct. Uh, and then there were a couple TV ads. Oh, yeah, like three. Yeah. Yeah. How do you rise above that? (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's funny is right now we're getting the same types of attack, but my opponent hasn't raised enough money to really, you know, like do the level that he did. I know my 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 2018 opponent was self. He's he's personally wealthy. So he really self-funded all of this. And and, you know, to, to the heart of your question, I mean, you really have to. Just be grounded in who you are. Yeah. I think that's the most important thing to do. Yeah. And and you know, in the political world, you're gonna have a lot of people who tell you to act a certain way, um, talk a certain way, wear it, wear your hair a certain way, and you really have to ask for guidance, but trust your gut. And when those attacks are coming our way, I have to tell you that the the, tra- the traditional consultant advice would be. 
we'll just ignore them <laughs> and and don't use your opponent's name you know like that kind of stuff and i was like hell no like people need to know that this is the guy who's sending this out like because and I and I knew what his tactic was. We were we were already so strong in the district that he was basically trying to destroy us as much right. as he could, and then throw his own positive mailers saying like, "Oh, I'm you know this is a good guy, whatever." And it's like he would mail them on the same day sometimes. Yeah. So, but you know, they were all they were all paid for by the Republican Party of Florida. So he's trying to distance himself from the negative ads. So we wanted to make it very clear. Two things. <laughs> this is him. Right. This is him. Like, this is the, the guy who says he's he's decent. Like, this is who he is. And and B, the attacks that he's making are not even legitimate attacks. Like, yeah, I did. I, I, I do think this country was built on oppression. That is literally our history of slavery. Like, there's no question <laughs> about it. And, and it was so funny because we would... You know, I would knock on doors and see an attack mail in a mailbox and just like take a deep breath and and have a conversation with the voter. And and what was incredible was the the reaction from voters was just like a big hug. I mean, there was one door I knocked on and they had kept the mailers and had them on their fridge because they just loved them so much. And, you know, people who wanted me to autograph them for wow. them. And and we 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 wanted to give our constituents Again, transparency. Like, here's what we're facing, and 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 here's our reaction to it, and give them give them the tools to fight back because you're not in this alone. And right. so when you when you demonstrate the attacks you're getting, then other people can rally around you. And 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 that's I think it's funny. I've seen more candidates replicate that. Where in the past, no, you don't you don't punch back. You just kind of let it be. Or you send your own nasty mailers and act like it's not from you, you know. Yeah. And 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 it's and in that campaign, we never we never attacked him on like a personal level like he did to us. But we did point out where his money comes from, and it was all fossil fuel companies, tobacco companies. Like we we put it on paper. Like here's the difference between you know the the your options in front of you when it comes to who's actually funding them, and and that really resonated resonates well with our district to this day. Where even Republican constituents they appreciate us for not giving in to crony capitalism for you know wanting to see corporations pay their fair share in taxes because they pay theirs mm -hmm. right and so we've been able to just lead with truth lead with our values and and fight back when necessary we'll also still build bridges and and you know that was such a test of my resilience. I mean, I kept a tally on my. I have a big whiteboard in my room. We live in Thornton Park. We're renters, and it's funny. My sister and I both live upstairs, and this room that I have it has a huge whiteboard. Like it's it's huge. And so I kept a tally of every mailer that came out and the date that it came out because I was really looking for patterns. Again, yeah. I'm a nerd, yeah. and so I was trying to watch this and say like. Okay, there's just no pattern. He's literally just like throwing mud at me like yeah. every day at this He's point. Muckraking the entire time. Hundred percent, hundred percent. But but it was it was really it was really a test of my resilience. Yeah. Um and and the fact that this district just like rallied around us. I mean, yeah. I remember marching in Pride, Orlando yeah. Pride that year, and I've marched in Pride for over a decade. And the type of love that came from the community with me holding our megaphone, like it was it was really affirming. So it was like, all right, like like the district loves the district supports us. The district wants a happy warrior. And and, you know, it just kind of continues to to affirm what you already know is to be yourself. 
Well, and I think that's, you know, you've been such a huge proponent for small business, the little Hell guy, yeah. like you talked about. Hell earlier. yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And so I appreciate that. Always, uh, always. You know, I love our small businesses. We're a small business here at VentureX and we try really, really we hard. Lo- and- yeah, we love you guys for it. I mean, small businesses are what make our district so freaking special too. Oh, and, absolutely. And you know, I get really annoyed by these like calls about socialism, socialism, because it's like you guys are totally misinterpreting what people are asking for. Totally right, exactly. <laughs> and at the same time, it's like, how can you say that when you actively see us supporting small businesses like literally trying to give small businesses a leg up we want to give them access to capital <laughs> i mean it just drives me crazy it's like yeah we want healthcare to be accessible to everyone sure but like using these fear tactics when literally you see us actively spotlighting and highlighting and doing something for small businesses it just drives me crazy do you see the the dichotomy the disillusion the you know everything that's going on at a federal level do you see that at the state level? Whew. So it's funny. The state level deserves a lot more attention, right? Like we give Washington, D.C. so many, so much of our retweets, so much of our energy, <laughs> right? And there needs to be that same level of engagement in the legislative process. Unfortunately, the Tallahassee press corps has shrunk, yeah. has gone smaller and smaller every year. So we need more watchdogs on the ground in Tallahassee. And we need more everyday people to know what's happening, which is why we try to use our platform to like demystify the process yeah. and bring people in. Um, but we don't we don't see the same type of hyper partisanship as in DC in the sense that um there is no movement right but we do see hyper partisanship on on very controversial issues and then we just see like laziness on the issues that should get attention but don't like tax policy yeah. where um me, a freshman Democrat, becomes like the lead voice on tax policy because nobody else is taking the time to read the bill or do the research. Uh, and that's 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 kind of embarrassing, right? Yeah. And it also speaks to the notion of like knowing your stuff and mm-hmm. like whatever whatever your field is, like come prepared. And so I read the bills. I have I when I knew I was getting appointed to Ways and Means, which was not a committee I requested, <laughs> but really? the no, <laughs> no, but the the speaker of the house decides where you go and they they gave me the most dry the driest committees. Yeah. They wanted to make it hard for me. So I had to learn a lot fast about local government, about veterans issues, about um, Ways and Means and um, oversight and transparency and public management. So, you know, lots of dryness, <laughs> lots of dryness, while also following the controversial topics happening in other committees so that when it came to the House floor, I will be ready to fight both of them. Yeah, so so with that with that said, um, we do see partisanship. We see, we see the Republican leadership make your life very difficult as minority members. Like, we sit in the back of the room. Uh, we don't get our bills heard unless it's a Republican bill, which – if I was following one of those, I I would wouldn't want it to get heard, right? Um, so we end up using the amendment process. We end up using um, uh, the budget as a tool to 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 get dollars in the right place, and and we have been successful. I mean, we have increased arts and culture funding in this state by eight hundred percent. We brought oh, wow. back hundred k for human trafficking prevention here in this district, and I just got the phone with the governor's office talking about eviction. So there is there is definitely bipartisanship. 
and and we work really hard to not take things personally. So you're going to have like very heated debates on the House floor about immigration, about abortion, about LGBTQ plus equality. And my intention always is once that debate is over, you know, we, we I talk to the sponsor and I shake that person's hand right. and say, you know, nice debate on to the next one. Um, while also keeping my eyes on the election cycle, because this is where the fights have to happen. Right. And it's interesting, the Republican leadership has been just unapologetic in in lies, you know, in, in campaigning against Democrats across the state. And it's a reminder for Democrats to like, don't don't play nice. Mm-hmm. Like, like they're lying about you. They're legit lying about you. So don't roll over, you know? And I've been really trying to inspire my colleagues to fight back. Yeah. And much like we have, have we've done in our past campaigning and this campaign, to make sure Democrats are actually demonstrating courage. And I think it's one reason why people have been disappointed in Democrats in the last decade is that they see us as weak. Yeah. And so stand up for something yeah. and, and stand up for yourself and for your community. And, and I think we are seeing a new generation of, of Democrats in Florida that come from the grassroots. They come from um, uh, unions. They come from um, um, immigrant experiences. A lot of women, first-time women candidates. You know, In Seminole County right now, there are seven women running for office against seven men. I mean, it's it's wild. It's really wild. And these are all women that would be flipping seats too. Yeah. So there's a lot of good energy around us right now. And and fortunately, the partisanship isn't isn't too bad in Tallahassee compared to DC. But unfortunately, it, it's a very top-down approach in Tallahassee. Yeah. So the Republican leadership decides what bills get heard. So unless we flip these chambers, it's gonna be very hard to get good, good policy passed. Do you see that happening? I do. I don't know if it will happen in this election cycle. I mean, I I put money on the table. Like I've mm-hmm. raised money for other candidates. I've been doing phone banking for other candidates. Like you know, bring our volunteers to them, um, as well as focusing on our district and getting turnout yeah. here very strong. Um, but it would take about 14 seats in the House to flip it, and at least three on the Senate. That's and a there's lot. <laughs> it's a lot. There's two in play in the Senate right now that we're feeling really really good about, including one in Seminole County. Um, 14 seats in the house is tough. Yeah, that's very tough. And that's, and that's also keeping the seats you have. Right. But, um, uh, the next, the next election cycle will be after redistricting. So, you know, that, that process is going to be really important for us to watch. And then after redistricting, every seat is up for reelection. So that could be an opportunity to, to get some wins in. So out of all of this, right. What is the one thing you would say to someone who's disillusioned oh, with this, who right. is afraid to vote, who doesn't want to go out, who is totally just washed of all of this stuff? Right. I would say that there that we need you, that you matter in this process, that there is still hope. But the hope is within you. If, if you don't exercise not only your right to vote, but your voice in the process, then, then we will fail. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line. I mean, you even look at some of the political role models that folks have had in the past. Those elections had turnouts at most of 60%. We've never been at a place in this country where 80% of people have voted. Right. Imagine what it would be like if that was the case. Like we would see the right people get elected. We would see policy change. 
And until that happens, you're going to get mediocreism. Yeah. So you got to vote. That's the biggest thing is you just got to vote. Yeah. Vote early. Vote often. Absolutely. Well, maybe not as often as uh, one specific person wants me to. <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> and, then, and then redo your vote, which I think is like only legal in four states. Like yeah. it's just it's mind boggling. It really cool. is. Uh, no, well, I mean, I think you're awesome. I I love having <laughs> you on here. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure having you here. We like to keep these episodes nice and short, I was so no say, one gets I wish too we had bored. More time. <laughs> but no, I I really appreciate you know you explaining you know, how you kind of got to this point. It's it's very, very interesting to hear, you know, especially from someone from our generation, right? Who's as young Absolutely. as you are Absolutely. and is doing all of these things for your, the community you grow up in on a such a large scale. It's inspiring, <laughs> frankly. And it's something that I look at and am slightly jealous of. I know I've done cool things and <laughs> you are very that, cool, but you are very you've cool. done a really, really cool thing. <laughs> And it's it's honestly really, really awesome to see you do it. And I'm happy to support you. I'm happy to have been part of anything that you do. And I'm so happy to have had you here. That's so humbling. Thank you. And and I have a lot of hope for this country. And I think as more millennials and Gen Zers enter in the space of leadership, we're going to be in a much better spot. Uh, and, I and I look forward to to that evolution happening over time and to uh, seeing the collaborative nature of our generation take over. Yeah. Largest generation. We're coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Anna. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Uh, how can people get a hold of you? How oh do your constituents gosh. get in touch? Yeah. You can contact us um, at Anna at AnnaForFlorida.com, all spelled out, two ends. And then we're also on social media at AnnaForFlorida on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And then we have a legislative office as well. And you can find that office off Concord Street um, in your neighborhood. Awesome. Well, you heard it here. Get out there, vote, do your thing, be graceful in what you do, give yourself grace, uh, you know, be supportive of the folks around you and they will support you in return. So thanks, Anna. Thank you. 